The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Thank you. Thanks very much. Good to see you all again. This is episode 11 of the Boys of Tech, a weekly roundtable talk podcast on the week's technology news, hosted by Brett and myself. Welcome, Brett. Yeah, it's good to be here. As usual, it's always nice to have you on board hosting this with me, Brett. And uh, it's, what a- it's good to be sitting in my own chair and comfortably in front of my own PC for once. <laughs> oh, so your internet's all fixed now, yeah? Internet is all up and go. Well, what a, what a novelty that must be. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Don't know how I did without it. Do you remember, well, uh, do you remember how to use the internet at home or, or do you need a hand? <laughs> I'm sure it'll come back to me. <laughs> I was surprised by how well I managed without it, though. I guess having it at work does help. Wow, actually, that, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it does. Did you check your email from work? Is that how you managed that one? Um, well, I only use my work email. Oh, you don't have another, right. Well, <laughs> I do have another one, but I don't really, I don't. I don't actually check it very often. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So your work one is <laughs> Anything it. important's going to go to the work one anyway. That'll be why under your name and my contacts, I've only got your work address and I've never bothered to ask you for your other one because you don't really use it. So Indeed. So there we go. Indeed. I've been pondering separating the two, but yeah, something extra to look at. And yeah, that's when the- your day's pretty packed, <laughs> everything... Every second counts. Yeah, that that that's the problem when you've got all these different accounts. It it, it takes a while to, you know, to get somebody needs to come up with a, a service or a software, just like we were talking about with Google's new voice, amalgamating all of your telephones telephone lines into one number and one voicemail. Somebody needs to do a email aggregator, so that you can put all of your <laughs> all the different emails that you've got and have it all do one thing. Yes, and, and if you and if you're checking, if you're in one account, when you delete it, it deletes it from the other accounts as well. Because yeah, kind of kind of like you 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 know, if you reg- or if you accept a call using that that Google service, um, then you know the other phones will stop ringing. Indeed. So yeah, that that'd be great. Maybe something for you to work on. <laughs> Need to find the time. Yeah, in your spare time. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I'm a parent. I know what what lack of free time means. <laughs> Indeed, it means late nights. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, into our, into <laughs> doesn't our... help when you're having to wait for somebody to do their cabling. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, uh, hey, it's all done now, isn't it? So. Indeed. So into our first story for uh, last week, Canadian researchers have found what could be a cyber espionage network. They reckon they've uh, discovered rather interesting traffic and uh, um, tracks of people hacking into government computers around the world, foreign ministries, embassies, mostly in Asia. Yeah. So what do we make of that? Interesting. Yes, not unexpected that um, things, you know, everybody knows about botnets and this is basically a botnet that's been targeted at some um, espionage instead of just um, malicious use well you know not that espionage isn't malicious use but you know what I mean yeah as opposed to flogging off your Viagra and stuff and indeed stuff. indeed as opposed to um, stealing people's visa uh, yeah, <laughs> credit that, card details yeah. this one is about actual espionage and it's very uh, much more James Bondy this would have been a perfect story for um, episode 007 oh yeah it would have been well we should <laughs> if only it happened a little earlier look they, no one really knows who's behind it but there is one country that uh, that people are pointing to that's China Yes, no surprise there, really. Yeah, I mean, it's plausible, isn't it? I mean, it's it's very plausible. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think the um, the Dalai Lama, uh, Tibet's spiritual leader, has uh, uh, requested uh, that be looked into because I think uh, their computers have been um, 
infiltrated, or there's mm. suspicion that it's that they've been infiltrated. Yeah. So this is kind of this is kind of the new the new sort of um, era, isn't it? The new you know espionage is now on the internet. Terrorism is now on the internet. You know, indeed, cyber terrorists, cyber spying, it, it, it's all out there. Instead of instead of um, needing your tuxedo and your nifty gadgets from Q and whisking your way across the world, you now sit in a room with a computer and that's all you do. <laughs> it's not as fun as playing with those gadgets, I suppose, but hey, how how hard do you think this would be? Do you, do you think it's do you think it's relatively easy to to break into these government agencies and obtain information? It's well, obviously surprisingly easy. Um it goes back to one of the things that we've talked about many times is no matter how smart or secure you attempt to make something there is always people involved and when you have people involved there are always going to be ways around things so it could be unpatched um, computers allowing malicious software to be installed so you know something like we were talking about with conflict previously you just need one staff member who's got any sort of access to install some malware and suddenly you've lost your computer and once as you know once you've got your foot inside the network itself you've you know usually everything becomes so much easier yeah these guys are quite smart what they've what they think they've done is put uh, software on that has uh, audio and video recording abilities and it sends information, you know, back home, wherever home is, whether it's China or, or somewhere else, we're not quite sure, but we think it's China. So mm. uh, effectively, this is real spying, you know, this is audio and video recordings. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well it's, as it's as well as uh, stealing data as well. This is real espionage. Yeah. It's quite exciting when you think about it. It is, actually, it is. <laughs> not, that it's, not that it's a good thing, but, you know, it's it, it's exciting to think about. We live in interesting times, that's for we sure. We do. Hmm. Hey, Skype is now on the iPhone. Uh, it's been announced on Wednesday. Uh, it was Wednesday last week. Uh, they've put Skype on the iPhone. Now, I guess what's significant about this, it kind of goes back to what we talked about a few episodes ago of what's in it for the network operators because really Skype is allowing you to phone, com- well, co- I guess you can't really call them computers now really, internet device from internet device to internet device for free. Mm. And okay, you're still paying your data charges, but as we said in that in a previous episode, those charges are a lot less than the permanent fee you'd be paying to the network operator. So um, I, I don't quite know how the network operators are going to, I mean, handle that one. But uh, I, I guess if there's enough demand for the iPhone, then they'll just you know bow to the pressure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out because it does seem yeah. <laughs> they, they, they are stepping on each other's own turf. They've they've enabled uh, conference calling as well, but you can't initiate it from your phone. So if someone initiates it from a, a computer using the full version of Skype, you yep. can accept that call on your iPhone and become part of a three or four way call. But you can't initiate a three or four way call. But they they reckon that that might be coming, you know, later on. Mm. So what I like, what I think is the most neat about the, the the Skype for the iPhone is the fact that it's not just for the iPhone. If you have an iPod Touch, you can install the the Skype on your iPod Touch, yeah, yeah. connect your iPod Touch to the internet wirelessly, and voila, a phone. You've got Skype. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, not? that you've got a phone. <laughs> that's kind of neat. Yeah, that is kind of cool. And if you know what, if I had an iPod Touch, I'd actually be doing just that. I'd, I'd put my my uh, my Skype on there, and as yep. you said, you know, as long as you're in in in, in a, a wireless phone, you've you've effectively got a phone. Yeah, and it's it's and a phone that can do three or four way calling, so long as the other person phones you, not not the other way around. For now, indeed, but that's great. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is it's it, it, it's yeah. I think it's almost something to get an iPod Touch for if you can't get an iPhone. It's probably something to phone home about. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that one in there. 
Moving on, Wikia Search uh, bites the dust. Uh, what it was, it was. I, th- I think this is a neat concept. Um, Wikia Search is basically a search engine powered by the community. So, like Wikipedia is an encyclopedia powered by the community, and they contribute and make amendments and so on. Well, the search Wikia Search allows people to rank results and so they effectively become the judge as to how things get ranked and how things get found which i yeah. think i think the concept is is great it's it's brilliant and in yeah. fact i think that's what google should be doing yeah it it's it well mm, or does it google does know put best? a lot it does put a lot on the community though and when you think that the the communities that actually actively participate wholeheartedly in these sorts of things there you know they full on but it's it's not as big a community as you would expect the community at large are those that contribute a little bit but for something when you're doing search weightings um, yeah yeah but over yeah. time don't, don't you think like it worked for dig i mean okay dig's not the same thing but it it's not has the a, same but thing. it has a similar concept underneath and you know you're, you're effectively bringing to the attention of, of other internet servers certain stories that happen to be ranked by other dig or by dig members and mm-hmm. that's how they get you know pushed to the top of the list and get higher uh, higher rankings and so on and uh, yep. uh, that but seems the thing is so as you just said we already have google and we already have dig well uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. At the moment, what Google does well, <laughs> well. Google does a good job of finding stuff. That's for sure. Indeed, but, Google does do a good job of, side, I of did, finding stuff. But having said that, you do wonder: are there things out there that are not being found by Google? Because you'd never know. True. It, rem- it reminds me of actually. It kind of reminds me of the argument of someone that someone put to me once. They said you can always tell. A removal house, you know, you drive past and you think, oh, look, that house has been moved there from somewhere else. You can always tell. But the counter argument, of course, is how many other houses are removal houses you don't know? You know, there, there may well be some that you can't tell. So you only yeah. see the ones that you can, <laughs> you can tell. Yep. So it's kind of the same thing. I don't know. It's, um, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. But I, exactly. I don't know. It's kind of sad because I, I, look, I've never used it. And to be honest, I, it, it's, it's very, it's not particularly widely known, but um, it, it's it's a nice concept, and uh, maybe someone else will will give it an, another shot. I don't know. Mm, mm. It's yeah, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> the search market is is not a market that I'd ever think you'd want to try and get into now. Not when you've got the big ones that already exist that are that are hanging on, and you've got Google and its dominance. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so long as people are happy with the results of you know and, and the yeah. ease of use, they'll stick with it. Yeah, exactly. That was that was what made Google so brilliant. Was they came into a market which most people thought was relatively saturated already, the search market. But they were offering something so drastically different to what everybody else was offering. You know, that nice, clean <laughs> interface yeah. and a good, Dude. credible search engine behind it. And people flocked to it. They didn't. <laughs> yeah. They liked the fact that it didn't take minutes to load up in, in, on the old connections that we had back yeah, in those uh, days. Alta Vista. <laughs> exactly. Alta yeah. Vista with the, the, the hundreds of little ads and pictures oh, yeah. and all the stuff. And then somewhere in there is the search bar, but you've got to dig around for it. Yeah. And do you remember, though, not long after Google knocked them off their perch, suddenly Alta Vista had pretty much a Google-like interface. All yeah. that junk was gone. All that crap was gone. It was all slimmed down to just a search bar and a couple of little icons and stuff like Google. Yep. But it was too yep. late. It was too late. It was too late. It was too late at that point. Mm. They only did it because of that, really. And I think if they had, if Google, Google hadn't come along, we'd still be using search engines that are you know, filled with all sorts of dross and flashing things and extra information and news and tips and hints and whatnot. Yep, yep, and we would still be loading them up and looking for the search bar. Yeah, that's a most frustrating thing, looking for that search. You know, you've got to have something nice and easy to use, and you're right, that's exactly why Google succeeded. Yep. Yeah. Um, EA has announced it's uh, dumping DRM on the next Sims games. Now, just to clarify that, what they're doing is they've removed the DRM component that means you have to, you know, authenticate 
over the internet to their servers when you do an install and you can only have a certain number of installs before it locks. What will still be in place though is the copy protection on the CDs. That's still going to be there. But uh, yeah, they, yeah, this is an, this is an example of someone bowing to pressure. I think. I think so. I think it, good on them for actually bowing to the pressure and not steadfastly sticking with something which was only going to do them harm in the long run. It's it's yeah one of the greatest DRM you know uh, removal victories since um, iTunes started getting rid of the DRM off of most of their yeah. music. It's. It's good for everyone. Yeah. Whoever came up with the idea that people should only be able to install something once or twice and it should be locked to a specific PC really has no idea about how people own PCs and how people use software. And how people upgrade PCs. Indeed. Upgrade PCs. There are people out there who upgrade their computer every month. Every month there's new bits in there. So much new bits that any, you know, any hardware code derived off of the machine is going to be different. (laughs) And so your game's going to stop. And when you buy, it goes back to other things we've discussed multiple times, is that when you buy a piece of software, you're buying use of that game for the all that software for the entirety that you have that cd at any point in time you want to be able to go you know i really want to play that game that i bought two years ago i'll dig it out put it in and play it but with the the draconian secure rom type D, uh, drm methods they brought in you couldn't do that so draconian it was ridiculous well, full marks to, to EA, I think, on this one. Full, full marks, marks to EA yep. for, for getting rid of that Dracodium DRM. Yep. There's nothing wrong with disk-based protection, things to protect, you know, prevent copying of the disk and good old serial code things. That's all good because <laughs> that means you've bought the thing. But none of this usage DRM, DRM that locks you into the way that you can use what you've bought. But do you think they had to do that? Do you, do you think they that people would have you know ditched I think, EA? I th- I think there would have been more and more complaints. It, it really came to a head with with Spore when EA re- released Spore. Have you ever played Spore, by the way? No. <laughs> I think I, I played a demo once, of, uh, but no. I that's yeah. the little thing, the little amoeba or whatever it is that. that grows, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the beginning of it. Right, it, yeah. it goes on. It's, oh, I think I played that. Game. Yeah, but um, the demo. But yeah, it it had the secure ROM copy protection on it, which meant you could install it. What I think three times before you could no longer install it again. And yeah, it would authenticate online before you could play it. Yeah, and that's yeah. the kind of stuff they took out now, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, it's all the stuff that's gone now, and left you now with a game which you can actually play and install as often as you want, as long as you have your CD key and your CD, you're all good. Yeah. They, they they did get a lot of criticism for what you described it uh, just now. Uh, in, in fact, speaking of piracy, uh, this is a, an interesting story. Uh, they've noticed that. Uh, internet traffic in Sweden's dropped by 33% and they're putting it down to the fact that uh, Sweden has introduced a new law which <laughs> means that ISPs are forced to give out the IP addresses uh, of people who have bre- allegedly breached copyright and therefore identifying them. Mm. Uh, so 33, a third of the traffic is just gone into <laughs> vanished. <laughs> it vanished. It's what you expect when these sorts of things happen. As soon as a big law changes or people feel the eyes of Big Brother suddenly turn in their direction, they're going to stop what they were doing previously. So does that mean, they're all, to, does that mean that all Swedes are, are pirates? Uh, not all Swedes, but, you know, most, a lot people, of it there. most people will, honestly, yeah. <laughs> well, in fact, the, the statistics Sweden fact, say that 8% of the entire population use peer-to-peer sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a. I don't know how that compares with other countries, but eight uh, percent of the entire population is quite high. They, they and they specifically say the entire population, so that means anything from zero to a hundred. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I guess out of the uh, inter- internet connected population, that that figure is probably more like twenty thirty percent. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't surprise. Well, it doesn't surprise me that they dropped after it occurred. It would surprise me if those figures stayed down. So you think that they'll just come back up over time? I think. Well, the laws that they've implemented in Sweden are, are basically the same of what they've already had all along in the United States, and. It hasn't stopped people in the United States from doing peer-to-peer and, and you know, well, sharing yeah. files over BitTorrents. But it's new to Sweden. And so because it's new, it's suddenly a big brother you never had before, so you stop. So they've had this knee-jerk reaction kind of thing. Yeah, they've had a knee-jerk reaction and they'll have stopped. But I would be very surprised if it stayed down. I would expect that the peer-to-peer traffic – would start to pick up again uh, in a few months' time. It may not ever get back to the peak that it had, but it will definitely increase from the lull that it's got now as people become complacent, as people go and test the waters a little, see what happens. And if nothing happens, then it'll go back up. It'll just, it's, yeah, it's just the big knee-jerk reaction because Sweden's not had a law like this before, and, but the law exists in other countries which, where it hasn't stopped peer-to-peer. Well, 33% is not insignificant. That's that's incredible. Hey, no, what, no, what, it's huge. <laughs> it is. What, what if the, what if the, you think about that when you think about it statistics-wide, 8% of the entire population of Sweden use peer-to-peer. But that 8% is obviously using more than 33%. Yeah, it's certainly disproportionate. <laughs> of the internet traffic through Sweden's <laughs> gateways. <laughs> One of the big questions is, should we be going after those sharing files or should we go after those downloading files? Hmm. That's a good question. Because in a way, the way I see it is that if you're sharing a file, you're effectively publishing it. You're broadcasting it. Well, yeah. it's, it's there for, you know, it's making it available. It's To me, you it's no different to publishing available. it to a web server, waiting for Precisely. someone to come along it, and, and take no it. It's no different than if you were burning the CD and selling it on the street. Yeah, waiting for someone to come by. it away on the street. That's, as it that's is. right, yeah. But it, it is. You are still a distributor. But so, then, on the other so hand. So, yeah, really, the, the, people, <laughs> the people to stop it is to go after the – the distributors, but, but then yeah, you can't it's, harm. You've you've got the flip side of the coin, yeah. where as, as Pirate Bay have said, what was it? Eighty percent was the the figure they quoted. I can't remember. Um, but some high percentage of the torrents that were on the Pirate Bay, for instance, oh, were, were, were legitimate. Yeah. Were able to be legitimately legally shared. Yeah. And BitTorrent is a brilliant peer-to-peer is a brilliant technology and we don't want it to go away because it's got so many awesome legitimate uses. So many different games nowadays patch themselves using BitTorrent. Oh, is that to right? download the patches. That's, For instance, that, that's World brilliant. of Warcraft, World of Warcraft downloads a patch using BitTorrent because it shares the load, it means it downloads faster, it means it's much more easy on the bandwidth. Um, it means that it's always <laughs> it's almost always there because somebody might will be sharing it. The way that it's cast in the news and cast by certain agencies is that you know, BitTorrent is is the evil. Peer to peer is the evil. It's not. It is a brilliant technology that has powerful and good legal uses, and it's being stigmatized by the fact that it can also be used for people on the dark side of the force, if we say. Well, certainly, I think a lot of them live in Sweden, if you ask me. that's what it seems like anyway (laughs) (laughs) well indeed it would be interesting to see that that 33% drop in the country's um, internet traffic of Sweden how does that reflect on the internet traffic of peer-to-peer from the world. Well, that, that would be an interesting <laughs> How much statistic. of a dip was yeah. that globally? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. then we would see how much it is that the, Swe- <laughs> that the Swedish people... <laughs>
Maybe all the are illegally all, sharing. From maybe elsewhere. all the pirated content out there is all done by Swedes. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. I'm going to upset some some of the people in the audience. But um, no, of course I'm joking. But yeah, that it would be did, a, that would certainly did. be an interesting to, statistic to look at. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's always interesting to look at those sorts of compare those sorts of statistics because as you said, eight percent of the entire population is big, but eight yeah. percent is still insignificant compared to the 33% of the entire country's internet traffic. <laughs> that suddenly went down, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's so sure. it does show you that there are it is a it's it is a much smaller percentage who actually use the most <laughs> internet traffic. Yeah. It's an 80/20 rule again, isn't it? Indeed. Except in this case, it's 8 and 33, but, you know, same concept, <laughs> different figures. Uh, you know, France is uh, also pushing through with, with legislation uh, for, you know, preventing P2P and copyright and so on. What they're doing is they're pushing through with a bill, which hasn't been approved yet, but if it is, it will see a new authority set up, uh, the H-A-D-O-P-I, Hadopi. That, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of cool, isn't it? <laughs> and that's what the, what the it, it, it sounds like a new Pokemon. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? The Hadopi uh, will be formed. It's a it's an organisation that will be formed to receive and address complaints of copyright breaches. Now, after multiple warnings in a one year period, Hadopi can, although it's not required to, but they can sanction a repeat offender by cutting off their internet access for uh, anywhere between one month and one year. Now, what's interesting about the way they're implementing this is that Hadopi will maintain a blacklist of you know people who have been banned and all internet service providers hook into this blacklist. So you're not just banned from one ISP or your favorite ISP or whatever it is, you're banned from the internet in France. Wow. So this, is, this would be very, very strict. That's, that's Wow. How are they – what I'd like to know is how are they going to take into account, you know, cafe wireless nets, et cetera, wireless access points? Well, they must hook, in, they must hook into something, surely. They must be a backbone that they hook into. Well, yeah, but but there's nothing that authenticates the user on oh, that, those. Well, that's, you remember yeah. you just like – you, you turn up to the counter, you pay your five euro, you get a code, you go sit yeah. down, punch in the code, you have internet. That, but that, that's a good point. I, I hadn't thought There's about that. There's nothing that personally I, identifies that. <laughs> well, that will be interesting. Unless maybe they can't control it. There are some things which you just can't unless you change the, the way that those can work. And, well, yeah. <laughs> I think it would be quite bad for the world if the, the, you know, the business model of internet cafes was you know, legislated against. Well, if e- – even if they were exempt and it was just home internet you know providers that that were you know signing up to this blacklist mm-hmm. uh, that's still bad enough don't you think i mean you know you'd have to be within wireless range i mean if you're in the city that you might be okay it was central city you might be okay but if you're anywhere in the suburbs or on the towns or in the villages you'd effectively be cut off because you don't have that internet mm-hmm. cafe just around mm-hmm. the corner that that's close enough so even if as i say even if they are exempt I think uh, it'll be it'll be quite a an extensive ban. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, look, definitely you, you, quite. <laughs> it's definitely quite a big, quite a big big brother. Um, There's an incentive. It's very much like the ninety two A, section ninety two A. It is, but worse. <laughs> almost went through in, in New Zealand, but worse, but made legislated slightly better. It's, if, it's it's more, you know, more I, it's clearer. I I it well, is clearer. It's clearer. They've got an actual authority that's going to, monitor, to manage yeah, it, that, well, to administer yeah. it. It's not going to be administered by the ISPs themselves, which is what ninety two A was trying to do. Pass the buck. This one, the the French government at least is setting up an authority to. But it's to still govern it. it still lacks the the burden of proof. That's the bit It that still lacks the burden of proof. That issue. And that is that's the kicker to this. The structure that they've that they're talking about um, for Hadopi um, from the articles is is good, but the fact that once again it's only, you know, complaints and no proof required. That's the thing which stops it from being something that's workable. If you had a burden of proof 
and a system like what they're proposing here for France, then you would have something which could very well be workable. Well, if this goes ahead, they're saying that this will be one of the toughest such laws in the world. Mm. Um, this is this is a very very strict implementation of it, and in fact, there's uh, there's also a fine for internet service providers who don't comply. Uh, they'll get a five thousand euro penalty each time they don't take action as they mm. should. So it's they- it's yeah, it's really tough, and once again, that that whole burden of proof thing is what is what makes it really yeah is what makes it so draconian. If it actually required there to be proof provided before uh, an internet user was cut off or, or warned or reprimanded in any way, then you'd have a system which would be good. <laughs> it would actually work. It would protect rights holders, but it would put the, the burden of proving wrongdoing onto the rights holder onto them to prove that somebody was doing something bad instead of cutting off the person just by blaming them and the person then having to, you know, foot their own bill to get their innocence proclaimed and get themselves back onto the internet. It should be in the hands of the rights holder to prove it, not in the hands of the little guy. Yeah, so what's – yeah, exactly. What's wrong with – you know, putting the burden of, of proof on the rights holder, uh, they can maybe there can be some legislation that allows those rights holders to to check with the ISP whether you know certain data or traffic was made. So if they have an allegation that uh, a particular track was downloaded at, from a particular site by a particular person, the ISP can come back with a yay or a nay, and then uh, you've got enough to, well, at least prove that, and then away you go. But you're right, without that, you've got very little, it's just, you know, allegations, and that's the bit that, that that's one of the main reasons I think New Zealanders were opposed to the Section yeah, 92A. It's, that, it's that's, the that's he the, said, she said argument, and that's the, you know, it's the most ridiculous thing to try and base actual legal legislation on or anything which has to impose penalties on people. Penalties should never be imposed on a he said, she said basis. There should be proof required and the proof should be required from the accuser, not the accused. And you'd have to show this Hadopi your proof. Yes, <laughs> yes. If you had that... If you had it that the rights holder had to have verifiable proof that wrongdoing had been committed and the rights holder then took it to Hadopi, then I have no problem with Hadopi stepping in, adding you to a blacklist and saying, you've been a naughty boy, <laughs> no more internet for you. Well, you know, it, it could but, well, <sighs> Yeah, well, <laughs> in the way that it is with a rights holder going, hey, that guy downloaded stuff. And Hadopi going and knocking you off, even though you may or may not have. That I don't agree with. Well, remember, it hasn't been passed, so there's there's every chance that that may well happen. It certainly mm. happened here. We, we said no way, you know, think about it again. And the yep. government somewhat reluctantly but eventually agreed. And, yep. you know, the same could happen there. But uh, so Same could indeed. But they're, they're on a much more workable track, I reckon. What the, what the French here are proposing is much more workable I'm not you know much more workable than what was proposed here in New Zealand they've got a structure haven't they they've got a actual structure so what, what we didn't have so what we, we didn't have a structure 92a <laughs> up in the air ISPs yeah. you sort it out no yeah, no exactly. no 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 you don't try and get the ISPs to sort it out because no matter how you do it, no matter what the guidelines are, each ISP will interpret the guidelines. Well, what we need You've is... You've got to a, have what, one authority. What we need is Hadopi in New Zealand. That's what we need. We need Hadopi yeah. and burden of proof. <laughs> yep, Hadopi and burden of proof on the rights holder. <laughs> I like and the protection I, of the privacy of the information of internet users. I, I really like that acronym. In fact, I'm going to start using it in place of Big Brother. <laughs> Hadopi's watching you. Hadopi is watching. I like. I like that. <laughs> but they're not really watching you. Well, no, not really watching. You're right. They're not. They're not snooping. 
Well, they're not there's nothing that says they are. They're so. just, <laughs> they receive and then evaluate complaints. I guess they're arbitrators. Yeah. My favourite music streamer is dead. SeekPod is gone. Did you ever use SeekPod? No, I didn't even know about it until, um, you know, you listed the story. Well, not many people did, but um, a few of us, you know, works that I used to use it and uh, sort of word got around. It was effectively what it is, is a website with a, a Flash-based uh, interface, as in Macromedia Flash, wasn't all that Flash. Uh, <laughs> and it allowed, what it did is it allowed you to search for any song you want and it would find it on a variety, well, on the internet anywhere, and stream it to you via its Flash interface. So it, it could be via YouTube or it could be just, you know, anywhere, some random website. MP3 somewhere. Yeah, an MP3 somewhere matching, you know, your, your, the title of what you search for. If it just happens to be found, uh, it's kind of, so think of it like like, like an, uh, an MP3 search engine, but it actually streams it to you. So you've, you've got this sort of player interface to it, mm-hmm. which was really neat. So I could, you could find any song you like and start playing it. But uh, no, they, they've they've now been uh, bullied into bankruptcy by the record industry, or, or so it's claimed. Oh no! Wow. So yeah, what happened was uh, well, Seekpot has filed for uh, Chapter Eleven bankruptcy protection after being sued by a number of record companies. Uh, so they, they've effectively been bullied out of it. But I suspect mm. uh, they weren't paying any royalties. You see. Indeed. Indeed. And what was it? They were hoping that they could hide behind the DMCA safe harbor provisions yeah, yeah. Um, to protect them from the copyright lawsuits. But you see, um, the, the thing yeah. is, I, I think that the way they've implemented it, if uh, anyone who's you know used SeekPod will know this, that it's effectively reading the MP3 data for you and streaming it through their interface. It's not pointing you to where it is and saying, here, go over here and you'll find it like like any search engine. And I think mm-hmm. maybe that's that's part of the reason that the case is a little different. Yeah, it, it's not like a search engine where the search engine doesn't actually present you with the, the, the copyrighted content. This actually provides copyrighted content to you and through their site that's the key through thing their site, through their site through yeah. their they actually transcode it <laughs> yeah don't they yeah well they must from do whatever it's, it's it is flash. whatever they must source do, yeah. it is into their player yeah. and, think, and stream it through their player they didn't allow you to save it though inherently did they no no they didn't actually because I and that's, <laughs> I tried I that. that's probably what they were trying to 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 you know get back is that well they can listen to it but they can't save it so we're not really infringing on copyright but yeah yeah it's I think it was, it was a little bit a little, too, a little too smart for themselves yeah it's but yeah, it was they, so, it was they, so they useful it. oh yeah brilliantly useful this if I'd known about it I probably would have used it <laughs> but yeah, maybe they didn't. Um, I would have thought this would have been one of the situations where the the the, the music industry might have actually seen the benefit of it. A- another way of getting their music out and listened to, but without, you know, allowing people to save it, so mm-hmm. people could sign up for the SeekPod service and use it. And, and seek, seek pod pay a fee. yeah, be, yeah, and mm. royalties could be paid to the music industry and, for uh, just like the radio does, just like yeah, a radio station. Exactly, it would be an you, internet radio station. Except with yeah. this one, it'd be an internet radio station where the user couldn't record what they were listening to off the radio. And it's search on demand. And it's search on demand. Mm. It it sounds like a, a brilliant service that the the record the music industry should be thinking of. In previous stories, I've discussed how when I buy music, I like to buy it and have it for whenever I want to be able to use it. And that's quite true. But that also doesn't mean that I would be, you know, adverse to services such as a SeekPod that you could sign up to, that you could listen to any music at any time of any variety that you might just want to listen to on a whim, but you don't want to fork over the, you know, larger money for actually owning it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's something I used when I, you know, used to use at work. And, it, but I found that I used to listen to different tracks on Seekpod than, than the tracks I, I bought off iTunes. It was a different mm-hmm. set. There are yeah. certain tracks that I want to own, and that's why I buy them on iTunes. And there are other tracks that I'm, I'd be happy for a smaller fee, maybe 10 cents a listen or something like that, or, or five cents a listen, that yeah. I would be happy to pay through something like Seekpod if, if, if they, you know, offered that, uh, just to listen to and stream. So yeah, so yeah it, it, it has its place. And to, I, I don't think it would replace, for me anyway, I can only speak for myself, uh, it wouldn't replace, uh, you know, the, the purchases because I too like to yeah, own yeah, stuff. Yeah. It uh, would definitely not replace, um, you know, iTunes, the ability to buy and own and have music for whenever you want. But it means that, as you said, for a smaller fee, you could listen to whatever you want. So instead of, you know, shelling out however much it is, you know, 99 cents a dollar a track on iTunes and going, oh, I think I'm going to try this one. It's got a good review or whatever and buying it and then listening to it and realizing, well, you just paid a dollar for crap that you're never going to listen to again <laughs> yeah. and you probably just delete. Whereas on SeekPod, you could go, oh, that's got a good review or I like that little bit, that intro bit. I'm going to pay my five cents and I'm going to listen to that song. Wow, I like that song. I, I think I might get that on iTunes. And then you go to iTunes and then you buy it. Now, of, of course, SeekPod or, but though. Then you, <laughs> if you found that the song was crap, you can go, well, that's five cents. That's, that's all that cost me to discover that that song was crap and I did not want to pay for that. <laughs> well, you know, SeekPod, I, though, if, if they did you know, create something like what we're describing, they'd have to sort of do this, you know, on, on a big scale and, and bring in a catalogue of music from the music companies because what, what they were doing is just hunting for stuff uh, on on the web stuff that's been yeah, indexed yeah, on the web, yeah, which is a very different. Yeah, it's a very different and everything. Mm. Well, what you would do is because you've you've also got to remember there are there are artists out there that aren't signed up to any of the big music industry True. providers. A, a huge amount of companies. indies out there. There are yeah. there are indie music labels. There are garage bands who you know record their stuff and then put their mp3s up on facebook or up on their myspace page for anybody to download to listen to the music of that particular garage band or whatever just to get out there and that's also legitimate music you could have a service such as SeekPod, which has back catalogs or, or you know music catalogs which it has negotiated with music industry to have access to and so it's got that music good quality and if somebody using the service seeks that then it will go to those first if you get what i mean so you'd actually be yeah, but, going to what mm-hmm. the seek pod have negotiated with the music industry to use but it could still also troll the internet past that if you search for something which is more obscure so if you put in the name of a garage band it will find that garage band's music file on myspace or youtube or whatever but if you put in the name of a popular music artist that belongs to one of the music industry agencies which you've you know got the catalog of yours will go straight to there it won't go to the internet now you have to remember though that there will be some content that SeekPod will find on the internet by simply mm-hmm. by crawling that is there illegally now what you really don't want is if if SeekPod are, are doing this properly you, you don't want that illegal content coming through so how do you know it's just an indie track that the artist is happy for anyone to listen to and they've published it versus a track that is actually there illegally because someone's uh, ripped it from their CD and put it up on a web server that's going to be the difficult thing mm. and uh, well it depends it, it would I think it would satiate the, the, the big music industry because if they've been negotiated with, then all of their all of their catalogs would be available. And so it would, you know, the, the search engine would go straight to their catalog instead of searching the net. It would be in those instances where a indie group had put up an MP3 somewhere and it's now being hosted somewhere else. Right, so so the big it wouldn't be against the big boys. It would be no, it, it would, it be, would be, because, be, it because would be against the small their, boys. Right, yeah. 
Well, there's a business for someone who wants to start to start this. We, we've just described the business. We have just described a business for somebody to attempt. It may not be possible <laughs> to come up with the negotiations like that, but it's a service which I think would have a market. Or maybe it's going to be something that we'll offer to you through Boys of Tech. Just go oh, to boys, boysoftech.com slash music. <laughs> no, I'm just going to – you know what's going to happen now. I'm going to look at my weblogs and there'll be a whole heap of hits on that. I should put some Google ads on there now. Yeah, indeed. You should put some Google ads on there and, and we'll, we'll rake in a little bit of profit from that. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a plan. Hey, browser watch time. Uh, well, this, uh, there's a, a slightly skewed uh, story reported about the browser versions. Uh, the story that was reported on Ars Technica is uh, Firefox has overtaken IE in the browser market in Europe. That's kind of true. The, the course, the catch is that's if you split up the vendors into mm, d- different into, versions. Yeah. <laughs> into so versions. I, IE6 is, is one product. IE7 is counted as another. Firefox 3 is one product and Firefox 2 is counted as another. So if you break it down by that, in that method, then yes, they're right. Firefox 3 has just surpassed IE7. Third is IE6. But if you go by, you know, the vendor itself, IE is still ahead at, I think, about uh, 48, 49. Firefox is uh, climbing up at about 37, 38. But I'll tell you what, though, that is actually still a, a small gap, nevertheless. Yeah, it is in indeed Europe. a small gap. I think, yeah. I think the gap's a lot bigger worldwide or at least in the US, but yeah. uh, Europe's certainly keen on, on Firefox, it seems. And, and Opera as well. I think you commented on that uh, off-air as well, that uh, Opera had had a surprisingly large market share in Europe. Yeah. It's still small, but it's... it's yeah, I think it's point still nine small, se- 6 or 7. It is, but yeah, 6 or 7%, and it's less than 1% worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, so in Europe, it's it's being used a lot more than globally. <laughs> Somewhere else is not using it quite as much. It's bizarre how you get these pockets of these hmm. markets that uh, we actually the instant messenger market is also an interesting one as well. AOL is by far AOL instant messenger AIM, AIM is, by, yep. is by far the largest one in the US, but worldwide, hmm. it's Windows Live. Yeah, it is bizarre. <laughs> and I think in uh, in Europe, or is it? Uh, it could be Japan. I can't remember. I think Yahoo. Uh, yep, in, in Japan, yeah. Yahoo, definitely. Yeah. So it's it's kind of weird how they they found these little niche markets and, and people kind of stick to that. I, I guess it's yeah. partly also what your friends are on, and so that kind exactly. of builds out from there. So yeah. once you get a yeah. crit- critical mass, it's hard to to turn it over to mm. the other one. But actually, yeah. speaking of browsers too, Safari is. This was just a recent uh, thing. Safari's actually claimed first prize for ACID three compliancy. So, oh, brilliant! Yeah, so first, uh, first to the post. Congratulations, yeah. Safari! They've done it. They've done a good job. Actually, it's uh, the WebKit team uh, and Apple that have done that because, of course, WebKit's the underlying. Yeah. Uh, I think, and, and they look. They have done a really good job. ASA three is a tough test for those of you uh, in the audience here that aren't aware of what, what this, what the acid tests are. They're basically tests that check how compliant your browser is to the W three C standards, and those are the standards that are published for things like HTML and CSS, which drive the web. So. That's ACID test two. I think there are only two browsers that that uh, passed ACID, the ACID two test, and that was Safari and Opera. Not sure who got mm-hmm. there first. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, ACID test three. So uh, up until last week, no one was there, and now Safari is. So that that's great. Mm, it is. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I should I should clarify that it's actually Safari's uh, Safari four in beta. Okay, so the current uh, version out there which is version 3 of Safari is not acid 3 compliant it's the, it's the beta version of Safari 4 but yeah it's um no it's 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 interesting uh, just going back to what we're saying about the different markets holding different uh uh products and it's 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 really bizarre but there you go and last story this is a fun story to go out on <laughs> Domino's 11,000 pizza mistake they had to give away <laughs> 11,000 free pizzas Ah, um, uh, silly, silly. This is <laughs> so, this is a developer releasing something to production which should not have been released to production. <laughs> so tell, tell us how it worked, Brett. What, what actually happened? <laughs> it was, well, anybody who's used Domino's online 
ordering system, I know I have multiple times, knows that there is a, a spot when you're doing the order to put in a promotion code if there's any promotions. So, you know, it might be a, a random word or it might be a random alphanumeric that's been handed out on a voucher or, you know, published in a magazine or something for free garlic bread or whatever. Well, in America, on the American online one, they had the company was preparing an ad campaign for a free medium pizza, but the ad campaign was not approved. And so it never went ahead. However, whoever had developed the back end part of it had put in the promo code and set it all up in their production online ordering system. And someone worked out what that promo code was, which was the word bailout. And so when he typed in the word bailout in the promo code window, he found he got himself a free medium pizza. <laughs> and, nice well, as we know, with free things, free things spread quickly. Oh, yeah. Word gets around, all right. <laughs> and, <Absolutely>. by <laughs> and by Monday night, <laughs> local time, 11,000 free pizzas. <laughs> oh, no. What a mistake. And had been delivered. <laughs> Uh, I would have loved to have got in on that one. That that would have been good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't in New Zealand. It was a, 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 an American-only one. <laughs> I think Domino's have uh, promised to pay the franchisees out, actually, for that as well. Indeed, because it was a Domino's mistake, mistake yeah. not a franchise mistake. So the franchise owners were only fulfilling what the Domino's online ordering system told them to do. And so <laughs> good on Domino's for actually <laughs> saying that they will indeed. Well, they probably had no choice. They probably, they probably have owned. to. Probably have to legally, I guess. Their own mistake. Well, indeed, indeed. There is probably That's something it. in there. But, yeah, so it just goes to show that, uh, yeah, simple mistake in IT can, can lead to some very interesting results. The horrible mistake of somebody developing something which should have been kept on dev, <laughs> but instead went live to production. Poor release management. <laughs> That's what it is. Yes, it's release management. <laughs> hey, that, that pretty much would wrap up our show, but I did have one little bit to add as well. And that is, uh, we talked about a site, jackass.com, a wee while ago. <laughs> the story behind it was someone was squatting on jackass.com. Well, you know, you can't really just squat on something if, if it's a, you know, if it's a trademark. And so what, what he's agreed to do to get around this so that he doesn't have to give up the domain name is that he said he is planning a site on donkeys and their contribution to society. Well, that site is actually live right now. So if you go to jackass.com, and in fact, I'll, I'll just go there right now. There we go. There's the site about donkeys and their contribution to society. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> He's actually done it. <laughs> so uh, th he has actually fulfilled what he said he was going to do. <laughs> it's a funny site. You have to go there, jackass.com. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so so there we go. Brett, is there anything else you want to add to uh, this week's show? Uh, nothing at all. Nothing at all. Thank you all for, for joining us. Episode number 11 is now wrapped up. We look forward to seeing you all again next week for episode 12. See Indeed. you then. See you then. Bye-bye. Right,